I'm excited today to jump back into Psalm 51. So uh, we, uh, a couple weeks ago, were there and took a little diversion last week, but we're back in Psalm 51 again today and kind of kind of pick up where we left off last Sunday. You may recall that uh, we were in verse 7, uh, which says, cleanse me with hyssop and I will be clean, wash me and I will be whiter than snow. And so we talked about this idea of internal cleansing and God washing us on the inside and how important that is. But I do want to come back and emphasize the fact that it is important to clean the outside too. And I say that because preteen camp starts tomorrow. Some of you are going to be sending your children to camp for a week. Now, I have been as a sponsor to camp in the past, and I know how this works. I know that there are children at camp, that their game for the week is, I'm not going to shower for the entire week. And so the sponsors are always trying to go around, you know, have you showered today? Have you done this? There are kids that think, well, I swam today in the pool, so that counts as my shower. And we try to explain to them, no, that doesn't count. So mom, I'm just going to tell you, I'm going to apologize in advance if this happens to you because we've had moms in the past that send their kids away to camp. Five pairs of clean underwear. And they get their kids back from camp with five pairs of clean underwear. And mom is wondering what happened all week long. So yes, it's important to shower. So just that's my public service announcement for the day. If you know anybody or if you're going to camp, shower or tell them to shower. It is important to clean the outside, but it's even more important for us to be able to be cleansed inwardly. And so today we're going to answer this question, is a clean heart really possible? Because in this passage, we're going to see that David is asking God to give him a clean heart. And the answer is yes. There are some things certainly that, that need to happen in order for us to, uh, to get to that point. But uh, we're going to talk about that a little bit today. But before we do, I, I just want us to start. We're going to jump right in from the beginning and talk about the incredibly high price that was paid in order for us to be able to have a clean heart. Uh, because it, it doesn't come at, at a, at a uh, minimal cost. It is an incredibly high price that was paid. And I think if you understand a high price that, is, that has been paid on your behalf, you'll appreciate it more, right? I, I was thinking about this. Say, for example, that uh, you're, you, you've got arrested for something. You've been arrested and you can't get out. You can't uh, post bond to get out. And you're dependent on somebody else to do that for you. And they do that for you. And, and you are released um, temporarily for that uh, because you have posted bond and you find out that they somebody paid $500 on your behalf you're going to be grateful that they paid that $500 to get you out but what if you found out that somebody paid $500,000 on your behalf to get you out you, you, your level of gratitude is going to be much greater right if we know that a really high price has been paid we're gonna have a greater level of gratitude I'm here to tell you right now that the price that, that God has given for us is a lot higher than $500. It's a lot higher than $500,000. The price that was paid for us is, is remarkable. Let me just read it to you. Just some selected scripture, and I'm just going to kind of read straight through. There's a few different passages, but I just want to just read it to remind us um, of what has been done for us. Then Pilate took Jesus and had him flogged, which of course means beaten in a way that the flesh was ripped off of his body. The soldiers twisted together a crown of thorns and put it on his head. They clothed him in a purple robe and went up to him again and again, saying, Hail, King of the Jews, and they slapped him in the face. Finally, Pilate handed him over to be crucified. 
So the soldiers took charge of Jesus. Carrying his own cross, he went out to the place of the skull, which in Aramaic is called Golgotha. There they crucified him and with him two others, one on each side and Jesus in the middle. In the same way, the chief priests, the teachers of the law and the elders mocked him. He saved others, they said, but he can't save himself. He's the king of Israel. Let him come down now from the cross and we will believe in him. He trusts in God. Let God rescue him now if he wants him. For he said, I am the son of God. In the same way, the rebels who were crucified with him also heaped insults on him. From noon until three in the afternoon, darkness came over all the land. About three in the afternoon, Jesus cried out in a loud voice, Eli, Eli, lama sabachthani, which means my God. My God, why have you forsaken me? And when Jesus had cried out again in a loud voice, he gave up his spirit. Just a few passages, a few verses from the New Testament to remind us. There has been an incredible price paid on our behalf. And so the things that we're going to talk about today, and we're going to be in Psalm 51, which means this was written a long time before the coming of Jesus. So there's a different perspective that David had looking forward to the ultimate provision for sin. We have a different perspective looking back on it. It's been accomplished on our behalf already. Uh, but we need to go into it with that appreciation and understanding. This is why we can have such confidence uh, knowing that God will cleanse us as David is requesting. So let's pick it up in verse 8. Psalm 51, verse 8. Let me hear joy and gladness. Let the bones you have crushed rejoice. Hide your face from my sins and blot out all my iniquity. Create in me a pure heart, O God, and renew a steadfast spirit within me. Do not cast me from your presence or take your Holy Spirit from me. Now, I'm going to give you a little teaser of where we're going next Sunday because verse 8 and verse 12, which I'll stop before verse 12, kind of are, are, are real similar. In verse 8 it says, let me hear joy and gladness. It says, the bones that you have crushed, let the bones you've crushed rejoice. Maybe some of you feel like that right now and you can relate to that. Maybe not physically the bones that have been crushed, or maybe they have, but you know the crushing weight just of, of sadness, of maybe depression, maybe anxiety, and you know that that just can sit on you with this incredible force. And so we're going to come back next week and talk about it because verse 12 talks about it a little bit as well. We're going to come back and talk about the fact that we can discover joy. Even when we're going through difficulty, we can discover joy. So I'm going to hold off on that one just a little bit. But the first thing that I want us to, to see, and we're asking the question, can God really cleanse my heart? Uh, of course, the answer is yes. But first thing we need to do is that we must ask God for forgiveness. That's what verse 9 is really all about, is his asking God for forgiveness. And he says it this way. He says, hide your face from my sins and blot out all my iniquity. He's asking God to deal with his sinfulness. And we saw this earlier in Psalm 51 where he said things like, you know, my sin, for I know my sin is always before me against you. I have I sinned and done what is evil in your sight. I mean, he is acknowledging very clearly that he has sinned, that he has done wrong. And now he's saying, okay, God, I'm asking you to, to turn your face away. Um, he, he's confessing his sinfulness. I think I have admitted this before and I will again for whatever reason it is difficult for me to ask for forgiveness that is I've told you before too I struggle with pride and so acknowledging I've been wrong in this area and that sometimes is a difficult thing 
I don't know if anybody else can relate to that or not, but it's important for us to to ask forgiveness. Now, the relationship really kind of determines how that works. And here's the thing. David had such a close relationship with God. I mean, he's described in Scripture as a man after God's own heart. Even when he fell away and even when he, he uh, made these horrible mistakes, which, of course, if you weren't with us in the past and don't know the context, this is after he took one of his soldier's wives, got her pregnant, um, tried to cover it up by having him killed. I mean, a horrible situation. And he's dealing with that and he's working through this repentance process, uh, but, but he's very um, open and, and confessing. But it's his relationship with God, I think, that allowed him to do that, knowing that God is ready to receive that uh, is ready to grant that forgiveness, uh, but it need to ask. And the way he phrases it is interesting in verse 9 when it says, Hide your face from my sins. There is a similar phrase used in Psalm 13.1, but it's used in a totally different context. This is a Psalm of David as well, by the way, but Psalm 13.1 says, How long, Lord, will you forget me forever? How long will you hide your face from me? So, you see, in this context, in Psalm 31, David is lamenting the fact that God is hiding his face from him. But in Psalm 51, he's asking God, hide your face from me. So what's going on here? What's, what's the difference? I mean, typically, when you see that phrase, hide your face from, in Scripture, it, it's referring to someone turning away relationally. Have you ever had something in a relationship that wasn't right or someone that, that felt maybe very awkward around you and they wouldn't look at you. They wouldn't, they wouldn't even turn their face toward you, right? It was always just kind of looking away, avoiding eye contact. That's kind of the idea here. He's saying, God, I feel as though you are not turning your face toward me. And the flip side of that is if you know somebody that is really good about you know, eye contact and giving you their full attention when they're talking, they, they turn their face toward you and speak to you. That indicates that I'm here, I'm engaged, I'm interested in you and what you have to say. And so in Psalm 13, David's saying, God, I feel like you've turned your face away from me. Which, by the way, little aside here, if you're going through a difficult time, or if you know somebody who is, especially if it's elongated over a period of time, um, I highly encourage Psalm 13. Just mark that one down, go through it, read Psalm 13, because it starts this way, but it ends on a on a little bit more optimistic note, but it's very real and very, if you've ever struggled through that, God, where are you kind of a feeling. Psalm 13 is a great one to go to. Um, but in this passage, what he's saying is, God, I'm asking you to turn your face away because I'm ashamed of what you're going to see. You, you ever felt that way? Don't look on me and, and, and I, I'm ashamed. I know what I have done. I mean, we don't want people looking at us in areas that are exposed that we would rather them not be, right? You could ask my friend who will remain nameless at this time, who dropped her child off at Vacation Bible School a couple weeks ago, then went to Walmart and was on her way into Walmart, where a merciful employee saw her and and flagged her down and said, ma'am, ma'am, your skirt is completely ripped open and you're exposed. (laughs) Which, of course, she decided at that point she was not going to go into Walmart anymore. And I can laugh at that story because I have been there and understand that feeling. It reminded me of the time when I was in a community meeting. I think it was a Chamber of Commerce meeting. And I stood up to proudly represent Gateway. 
as I did week after week and was telling everybody about our wonderful church. And on my way out to the bathroom, I looked down and my fly was completely open the entire time. So I can relate. I understand you don't want someone turning their face toward you when there are things they're going to see that you don't want them to see, right? Now, by the way, just another little public service announcement. If you see somebody with their honey sticking out or their fly open, please tell them, okay? Have mercy on them and tell them so that they can do something about it. You don't want them just turning their face away. You want them actually helping you solve the problem. And that's what David is doing here in the rest of chapter 9, or excuse me, verse 9. It says, hide your face from my iniquity, but then he goes on because that's not enough, right? It's not like God's just going to turn away and act like he didn't see our sin. I mean, this is really the heart of it, the second part of verse 9. And when he says, and blot out my iniquity. Not just don't stare at me. Yes, that's, that's embarrassing. But can you, can you blot it out? Can you do away with it? Kind of reminded me of, you know, back in the day, learning to type on a typewriter. Anybody else, you know, anybody else old enough to like, but yes, remember the typewriter. If you made a mistake on the typewriter... It was difficult. I mean, you could like do the little X things through it. You know, that was one option. Or they had correction tape. You know, the little, you could put that over it and go back over it. When you put the correction tape, and they still have that, by the way. There's still like the whiteout correction tape that you can use for stuff. But you put that tape over it, and then you can, it blots it out, right? It covers up the mistake so that you can go back over it and write something different. That's what David is saying here. I want you to blot out my sin. And, and God does that. For us, thankfully, because of what Christ has done, as we read on the front end, what Jesus has gone through on our behalf. It's not that the mistake disappears. It's not that it's not there. It's that it gets covered. And that's really what the blood of Christ does for us, is it covers over our sins. Or another way of saying that is it blots out our sin. Now, remember that David is writing pre-Christ, which means that... The way sin was blotted out was something that had to be repeated over and over again. They had a, a system of sacrifices that they repeated time after time after time. And then once a year, the big one was once a year on the Day of Atonement, the high priest would go into the Holy of Holies and offer a sacrifice on behalf of the people. And that would cover the sins that had been committed in ignorance, it says. And so uh, that's David's perspective. But we have a completely different perspective because now it, you, you get into the book of Hebrews and it talks about how Christ entered into the real tabernacle, not the, the one in heaven, not the one uh, that's a shadow here on earth, but he entered into the presence of God and gave himself as a once for all sacrifice. And so this is not something that we have to repeat over and over again. This is something that has been done for us. Uh, Christ has given himself as a sacrifice for us. Um, so... It's available, it's there for us, but we do need to respond. Our response is not what we do, it's one of faith. But it begins with confession. It begins with us acknowledging our sin and, and confessing and asking for forgiveness. First um, John 1, verses 8 and 9, says this, If we claim to be without sin, we deceive ourselves, and the truth is not in us. If we confess our sins, He is faithful and just, and will Forgive us our sins and purify us from all unrighteousness. It doesn't say that God might forgive our sins. It says that he will. 
That's his promise to us. He will forgive our sins. He will blot out our sins. He will do what David is asking him to do. But that wasn't just the end of it. It's not just cover over my sin, but he continues on in verse 10. And it says, create in me a pure heart, O God. See, what, what I think David is saying here is, I don't want to go down this path again. I don't want to have to keep coming back over and over and over again saying, okay, I've done this again and I've done this again. Blot this out. He's saying, help me to have a clean heart. Now, you're never going to be perfect. But he's saying, God, you can change my heart so that I'm, I'm not the same person that I used to be. And that's exactly what God does for us today. That's what God desires to do for us is to change us. And, and, and I love the fact that David is asking God to do this. He's not trying to do it for himself. Sometimes we think, oh, I can fix myself, right? I can make myself clean. I can purify. I can clean things up in my own life. We can't, but God can. See, the, the stains that we have on the inside are not ones that we can wash away ourselves. And so we have to ask God. We have to ask Him to do that. Create in me a clean heart and change me on the, on the inside. And then He has this other little phrase that we'll come back to in a minute. And it says, renew a steadfast spirit within me. I mean, th this is what I hear David saying is, I don't want to continue down the same path. I'm not just asking you to blot out my iniquity. I'm asking you to change me. I'm asking you to renew me in such a way that I, I don't keep going through this over and over again. And so that's the appropriate response to sin being forgiven is that we do ask God to change our, our hearts and God does do that. So here's the second main idea, really what we're getting at here. Um, yes, we have to confess, we have to ask for forgiveness. But the second thing is we must surrender and pursue God. That's what David's talking about here. I want to, I'm surrendering my life to you, and I'm pursuing you with all my heart. Not to earn forgiveness in any way, but because of who you are, I'm, I'm, I'm going to pursue you. So, Scripture makes it really clear that God offers forgiveness. God offers cleansing. It's available to us. It's not something that we earn. We'll never be good enough. But there is a response of faith on our part that we need to have. And that response is one of, of trust, it's one of surrender, it's one of saying, I'm choosing not to be in control anymore, but I'm choosing to trust in you and to give my life to you. And so, uh, let me just speak for a moment to those who have made that decision, I'll speak to those that, that haven't a little bit later, but to those that have made the decision to trust in Christ, but if you're being really honest, you would have to admit that it, your heart isn't really clean like you wish that it were, that things haven't maybe really changed like you know that they should uh, once you've, you've trusted in Christ. And if that's the case, you know, I can think of three, three different places where you might be. If you're saying, yeah, I've trusted in Jesus, but if I'm being honest, my life doesn't look any different now than it did before. One is you're just living in rebellion toward God and you know it and you're miserable because of it. And sometimes that's the case. Sometimes we get off the path, but we, we know we're off the path. It's like, I know this is not where I should be. I know this is not right, and I'm struggling through that. So that, that's one option. That's a, that's a pretty miserable place to be. That's one option. The second option is that you've gotten off the path, but frankly, you, you're not too miserable about it. You really don't care. And the reason for that is because over time, we begin to just kind of get numb to the effect of our sin. You know, the, the, the longer we go down that path, the, the longer we choose to walk away from God. Now, God doesn't go anywhere, but we can choose to say, I'm not going to walk in fellowship with you. 
Doesn't mean our relationship with God has ended, but the fellowship with Him isn't right. When we do that, we can kind of become less and less sensitive to um, you know, that, that stirring inside that says, this isn't right, and, I, and I'm trying to draw you back. And you know, I, I would liken that to um, just, if, if say you lost feeling in your, in your extremities, or say you can't really feel anything in your fingers or your hands, and, and there might be times if you slam your finger in a door, you might think, hey, that's pretty cool that I don't have feeling in my hand because I don't have to experience the pain that I would be experiencing right now if I, if I did have sensation in my hand. So that might seem like kind of a cool thing. But there is a reason that God has given us pain. God gives us pain to say, don't do that again <laughs> or stop doing that now because this is going to cause further harm. Let's say, for example, that you can't feel anything in your hand and your hand happens to, to rest on a hot stove surface, but you don't know it. You see, God designed it where when things are working right, you put your hand down on a hot stove, you're not going to leave it there very long. I don't care how tough you are, your instinct is just to pull it back because it hurts. And, and God gave us pain to say, don't do that anymore because that is going to cause further damage if you continue to do that. Now, you don't have any sensation. You become numb in your fingers. You leave it there. You might not feel any pain, and your hand is getting damaged in a very significant way, but you don't know it. And so if, if there's that numbness that just over time you've kind of developed a, kind of almost like a callus where you just don't feel it anymore, that's one possibility. Or a third possibility is this. You don't feel anything because, frankly, there's really no relationship with God in the first place. Maybe you think that you have a relationship with God or you've convinced yourself, hey, I know Christ died for me and so I'm good and I'm forgiven. But, but if you haven't really trusted him, you haven't really given your life to him, that's, this isn't one of those we want to fool ourselves on, right? It's not something we want to find out later on. I thought I, I, I had this settled and, and really didn't. But David is saying here, God, I, I want you to create a, a, a clean heart in me. And that little phrase there, renew a steadfast spirit. That steadfast spirit meaning, um, God, help me to sustain this. Help me not to be one who's kind of up one minute and down the next. And, you know, I'm all on fire for God one day. And the next day I've just kind of dropped off the cliff. And No, but a steadfastness is something. There's consistency there. There's, there's a continuing on with this steadfast spirit. That's who David wanted to be. And I wonder if anybody here can relate to the struggle of having that steadfast spirit. If, if, if you feel a little bit all over the place, a little bit up, a little bit down, a little bit inconsistent, um, God wants to give us that steadfast spirit. And one of the things that he does is that God gives us strength when we go through the difficulties. That's where we find that steadfast spirit more than any other time. As many of you know, the last couple of years have been the most challenging for our family. And I was thinking about this. I thought, you know, I know this sounds like something a preacher would say. But it's really the truth. This is not just preacher talk. When I tell you, I don't know how we would have gotten through the last couple of years if it weren't for God's strength. I mean, that's, that's just the truth. And I know many of you, you're like, I totally get it. Because you've been through incredible challenges. And, and you're like, I, don't, I honestly don't know. I don't think I could have made it through without God uh, being there to, to give me strength. And, and if you don't know that, Strength that God provides, man, I want to just invite you and encourage you to turn to him and experience you know, what he wants to give uh, as he tells us that his strength is made perfect in weakness. But um, 
verse 11, coming off of that, he says, you know, I want to have this steadfast spirit within me, and, and, and I, I want to experience your strength. But then verse 11, he says, do not cast me from your presence or take your Holy Spirit from me. Now, in order for us to understand this verse, it's important for us to have a, a little bit of Old Testament theology here, a little bit of difference between Old Testament and New Testament when it comes to the activity of the Holy Spirit. Now, God is the same yesterday, today, and forever. God doesn't change. The Holy Spirit was the, old, was the Holy Spirit in the Old Testament, and He's the Holy Spirit in the New Testament. That doesn't change. But the way He interacts with us is different than it was in, in the Old Testament. The Holy Spirit would come on people in, in, in unique times of power. So the Spirit would come on them, they would accomplish these wonderful things, but then the Spirit might leave them. It wasn't a permanent indwelling of the Holy Spirit until the day of Pentecost, Acts chapter 2. And the, the, the Holy Spirit comes and begins to indwell, permanently indwell believers, which is the case for us today. And I point that out just simply to make this, this point clear. You don't ever need to pray Psalm 5111. You don't ever need to ask God not to take His Spirit from you. Because as a believer, that's not an option. We have the Holy Spirit in us, permanently indwelling us. So again, what, a, what an incredible privilege we have on this side of the cross to know, okay, I don't have to worry about the Spirit leaving. But what we do have to worry about is the feeling that we have that maybe God has left. And I, I emphasize the word feeling because it's not a reality and I think all of us realize that sometimes our feelings can lead us astray right they, they're, they're very real and they're very powerful they're just not always true and sometimes we may feel as though God has abandoned us but he hasn't I'm gonna tell you this when there's I mentioned this a moment ago when there's kind of distance in the relationship when we feel like we're not walking closely with God God's not the one who moved Sometimes we can drift away a little bit in our, our closeness with God. Um, but this just points out this, this last main idea that I want to leave with you today, which is so encouraging. And that is that we can trust God to always be with us. Trust God to always be with you. You never have to worry, is God going to leave you alone? But the, the truth of the matter is, one of the greatest fears that most, if not all of us have, is being left all alone. Isn't it? Maybe not just physically, although for some people that's, that's it too. Some people are like, hey, I love being alone. You know, stick me off by myself and I'm good. But what I'm talking about here is being relationally alone. I'm not saying that you don't enjoy your isolated times, but, but the fear of being uh, lonely, of not having anyone else uh, that, that, that cares about you. I mean, that, that is, that's a crippling fear for many. And I wonder if there's anybody here today that is experiencing the soul-crushing weight of loneliness. If you know what it's like to feel like the life has been sucked out of your soul and you just feel alone, then I want to tell you, we don't have to be. Even if, even if there aren't other people around us, the good news is this, that God will never leave you or forsake you. That God's presence is very real and he will be there through whatever we may go through in life. And so if you find yourself in a place where you feel abandoned or you feel lonely or you feel 
isolated in some way, I just want to encourage you and remind you that God is there. And you can turn to Him. And yeah, I get it. We need other people too. And that's what the body of Christ is for. Well, I understand that. That's important. But just start where you are. If there's nobody else that is there, God is. And He wants a relationship with you. He wants to provide uh, that love and that peace and that joy in your life. And if you've not ever come to a point of trusting in Him, if you've not ever come to a point of saying, yes, I want a relationship with you as well, I want to give my heart to you, then I just want to lead you through a prayer that you could pray, even now, a prayer of faith, a prayer of turning to Him, a prayer of inviting Him into your life. Guys, if you haven't yet trusted in Jesus, what's keeping you from doing that? And wouldn't today be a great day to say, yes, I want to respond to you and give my life to you. So let's pray together. Let's bow our heads for a moment of prayer. If you know today um, that, that you're ready to trust in Christ, believing that he gave himself for you, that he rose from the dead, all of that to cover your sins and mine, then pray something like this in your heart to him. God, thank you for loving me in spite of my sinfulness. Right now, I confess that I am sinful. I also confess that I desperately need you. So today, I turn away from my sin and I put my trust in Jesus. I receive him today as my Savior and the Lord of my life. Thank you for bringing me into your family today. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen.